Father God, we pray that your spirit would come into the house and that you would lighten our hearts, uh, that you would heal and strengthen our bodies, that you would clarify our minds, and that you would lay open before us a path of purpose that makes a difference in the world. I pray that you would redeem our lives, that you would bring us into eternity, but that you would bring eternity to us as well, that we would manifest eternity in this world, in this life, in ways that bring healing and freedom to those around us. Make us people of purpose. Make us people of conscience, Lord. I pray that you would sensitize us this morning to the things of the kingdom. And even now, fill us with the spirit of boldness and conviction. I pray that if any individual is drifting this morning, that you would arrest our attention, that you would encircle our lives and bring us back into the current of your heartbeat. We pray, Lord, that if we are seekers, you would advance us to followers. We pray, Lord, that if we are merely followers, you would advance us to servants. We pray, Lord, that if we are servants, you would advance us to be true worshipers. We pray, Lord, that if we are worshipers, you would advance us to be ministers of your kingdom on earth. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. God's Spirit is in the house. I have a warm-up question for you. Everybody roll your shoulders. Everybody wiggle your fingers. Everybody tug on your ears. That has nothing to do with getting warm up. I just like to make you look silly. So thanks for that. Here's your warm-up question. Everybody listening? Warm-up question. True or false? True or false? Truth is whatever works. Truth is whatever works. Discuss among yourselves. Turn to your neighbor. Truth is whatever works. Yes or no. Wait, wait, wait. And why you think that. Truth is whatever works. Yes or no. And why you think that. Go. You got 60 seconds. Let the brilliance begin. All right, all right. Let me go a survey. Truth is whatever works. How many of you say true? Oh, like six people. Sure. Cowards. How many of you say uh, false? How many of you refuse to raise your hands? All right. Truth is whatever works. False. False was the, the, the general answer. Truth is whatever works. False. Why? Somebody, somebody with great conviction and boldness, tell me. Something will work temporarily, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's uh, true and workable in the long sense. Is that what you're saying? Okay, so that's actually a middle way sort of answer. It's like, truth is whatever works for a while. No, no, no. Truth is whatever works forever. Yes? <laughs> yes. So a demon might do a miracle, but that wouldn't be a true miracle in, in the sense that it's probably going to end up bad eventually. Yes. So that's interesting. That's interesting. 
lawyerly training. I love it. Beautiful. Uh, truth is whatever works. Uh, true. True. There were six or eight of you that said that. Truth is whatever works. True. What do you think? Somebody explain. Meech? Because something that's false can't work. Brilliant. The sign of a creative mind is inversion. So you inverted the question. And you said, truth is whatever work. Well, let me consider the opposite. Does falseness work? No. So it must be truth that works. Brilliant. Brilliant answer. I love that. I love that. Does anybody want to? Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. What's my definition of works? Conscientious objector. There we go. Brilliant. It's Mr. Sachs coming through. Uh, so, John? So now I can't shut you up. So, so this is interesting. So he's, he's gone to instances in which a falsehood might be useful. You know, so, so for instance, if you're trying to hide a persecuted Jew from the Nazis... And, and a Nazi officer asked you if you were hiding a persecuted Jew, you would, you would speak a falsehood. You would say no, because in that instance it would save a life. Also kind of a brilliant way to attack the question. Uh, you might have guessed by now that when I asked this question, I asked it uh, because it's just a really interesting question, right? Uh, at first pass, truth is whatever works. Like, well, no, no, I mean, tr truth is more than that. But then you think about it, you're like, well, actually, there are ways of looking at the question in which, in which it, it may well be accurate. Um, and some of you parsed, some of you made distinctions between factual truth and, and what you might call functional truth. And that, that's, really, that's really what I want to get at. There are two senses of the word truth. And, and it's probably worth us thinking about it. Well, let's, do, let's just do a meditation on truth here for two minutes. Everybody get in a meditative state. Everybody say, hmm. That was utterly atonal. All right. Um, let's just do a meditation on truth. Uh, facts versus function here. Um, I think, uh, just to cut to the chase, that, that, truth, that truth is what works. It's what works in the fundamental sense, as I think you know, like Michelle was, was driving at. Uh, and that and that facts are actually a lesser thing than, than truth. There are two ways in which we use the word truth. Like, um, like in, in the old days, if, uh, if, you, uh, if you were sharpening an axe to cut wood, and you went out to the forest, and you were hacking at a tree, and you took a look at the axe blade, you would say, ah, oh, that's a true blade. Why? Because it's straight. And it's hard. That's true. The word truth that gets used most often in the most ancient scriptures is actually a word that, that indicates um, function. Um, if you were to shoot an arrow at a target and that arrow were flying through the sky, you would say, oh, that's a true shot. What does that mean? It means it's actually going to hit the target you want to hit. It's going to it's going to take you where you want to go. It was only much later in, in human philology, I don't, know, I don't know what a better word is than that, uh, use of the word, that we began to use truth with respects to facts. 
factual accuracy. Are you, are you lying or are you not lying? Is, is, uh, is that an actual representation of what happened or not an actual, sort of a courtroom truth? I, 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 I promise to tell the truth and the whole truth. Well, that means that you promise to tell the facts as best you can. The problem is, in life, our understanding of facts will often change as we discover new information. But there's a way in which our concept of truth, is this really the healthy path of life? Is this really the path of life that gets us where I want to go, uh, that, that gets us to the target? Right? There's a way to apprehend and to believe in the functional truth, even as we update our factual truth as, as we go. Are you, are you following me? You following me? Um, we know sometimes in life, we know what works, even if we don't know why it works. And I think a lot of Scripture is kind of about that. In the middle ground, there is faith. The Word of God is true. Now, I don't know exactly what God is up to, (laughs) but I trust that He is a true person. And I trust that if He has defined a path for me, I will walk it and it will get me where I want to go, even if I get surprised along the way. Does anybody resonate with that explanation of the life of faith? Yeah, God is true. His words are true. The story is true. Now I'm going to figure out what it means and what the facts are as I go. So you can have a, just say yes if you're following me. So I think ultimately, ultimately for us as we live out life, truth is what works. Sometimes we don't know why it works, but we know, well, God said it, so it's true, and I'm going to trust in it. And I will understand it more factually uh, as, as I go. Um, let's do a, let's do a um, sort of softly related uh, meditation on the nature of conviction. We spoke about conviction last week. We spoke about conviction, repentance. So there are two senses to the word conviction as well. There's sort of a conviction that we fall under when we're convicted about our sins, when we're convicted about our misdeeds, our moral mistake. And then we feel convicted like, oh, I'm not being true. I'm not being straight edge. You know, I have chosen a path that I kind of know is not going to get me to the target I want to go to, and I'm convicted of that, that darkness. But there's also a sense of conviction uh, that speaks not of misdeeds, but speaks of, well, you know, it speaks of truth. I'm going to speak the truth to you. Why? Because I'm convicted that it's true. And so when we talk about a man or a woman of conviction... That's a man or a woman who is living according to truth, living according to the straight edge. Or, you want to be really practical about it, a person of conviction is a person that believes what he or she believes, who, who walks the talk, right? Who is, who is honest according to the truth as he or she understands it. If we want to get really, really practical about it, I think... Uh, the power of truth only works in our lives if we are convicted of it. If you know the truth, but you're not 
convicted enough to live it, if you're not convicted enough to speak it, if you're not convicted enough to rest in it, then it robs the truth of power in your life. I want to be a man of truth. Um, maybe more than I want to be a man of any other thing. Accordingly, it's really important for me to be a man of conviction, for me to stay true to truth. Are you following me so far? If you are, I don't know, stap your fingers or shout chihu. That was, that, was, that was a true chihu. A big question for me then is, is, is am, I, am I a man of, of conviction? Do I believe what I believe? I ask myself that question. I mean, seriously, I probably ask myself that question every day. Very rarely will a day go by that I don't ask myself, am I being true to what I believe? Am I believing what I believe, if you know what I mean? Because, because for, for me, and, and maybe, maybe for a lot of us, that's where the attack comes. You know, I, I, I kind of know what the path is, and I know a lot of facts about it, but am I, am I living in conviction of it? Or am I cheating, you know? Has my edge become twisted in, in some way? That's where the attack comes. Am I actually trusting what I believe? But I also know from experience and scriptural revelation that that's where the power lives. That the power is not in believing the true things. The power is in believing the true things. It's in walking out the true things. It's actually being convicted of it, where there's no doubt, there's no question anymore. It's boom, true. And everything in my life corresponds. Conviction, uh, and not, not, not mere belief, but conviction. That's really what releases the power of the kingdom of God uh, in our lives. So there's a story about it that I, I love. It's, it's actually my favorite, uh, maybe my favorite passage in the Bible about ministry. Uh, about doing kingdom ministry in the world, and it comes from Mark chapter 9. Uh, it's going to be up here on the big board, and it's also in your programs, or you can follow along on your iPhone Bibles or uh, on your uh, hard copy Bibles. I see Rochelle has one. Anybody else have a hard copy Bible? Sophia has one, because you guys are going straight to heaven. <clears throat> um, here we go. Uh, for Mark 9, this is a story of uh, Jesus and his, uh, his entourage, his disciples, and uh, a time in which uh, they were trying to heal this very sick little boy that this very concerned father had brought uh, to, to the disciples and ultimately to Jesus in order to seek healing for the poor kid. And what's happening is that Jesus and Peter, James, and John have taken a side trip to the top of the mountain of transfiguration, and they're coming back down to the lowlands now, where the rest of the disciples have been waiting for them, and there's a whole crowd around them, and some religious experts are there, and, and Jesus and the guys are just kind of arriving into what is, has become a bustling crowd. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law, the religious experts, that is, arguing with them. 
And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. That's probably because there were some lights on top of the Mount of Transfiguration a little earlier. And they were like, dude, what was happening up there? And they're kind of like, they want to talk to him about that. But Jesus, entering this, this crazy crowd, says, what are you arguing with them about? So, he, you know, he comes to this, to this scene and everybody's arguing with each other. What's going on? And then the man, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. It sounds like this kid is really suffering terribly. If we were to observe that kind of behavior today, uh, you know, we would diagnose it as some sort of neurological problem. He's having seizures. Maybe some sort of epilepsy is involved. But, but obviously, the kid is seriously sick. And, and they feel like an evil spirit is involved in this sickness. It's just a, it's just a mess. And this father has brought his little kid to Jesus and the disciples for healing. The father continues. He says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. They failed. They failed. I always love stories about failure in the Bible because you learn more from those stories than any other story. So here's an example in which Jesus' disciples tried to heal a little kid, and they failed. They had already at this point in the gospel, we're at Mark chapter 9, we're beyond the, the middle of the book. They had already healed hundreds of people, and so this is exceptional. They failed this time. Here's Jesus' response. You unbelieving generation. That word generation is probably better translated uh, people. It's a very general word. So you unbelieving people. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Jesus sounds very cantankerous, grumpy, and frustrated. I love the stories where Jesus sounds uh, cantankerous and frustrated and grumpy because I identify with that. That's kind, of, that's kind of where I fit in the story, I feel like. So Jesus is like, oh, you unbelieving people. And the version of the story that you find in Mark and Luke uh, says, you unbelieving and perverse people or you unbelieving and twisted people, or if you like, you unbelieving and untrue people. You're not, you're not, you're not straight edge. You corrupted people, you know. Ugh. How long, how long do I have to put up with you? Um, and then he says, bring the boy to me. So get, get the boy out of that, that unbelieving problematic crowd Let's get him isolated. Let's take him to some clean air, in other words. Bring him over here and, and, and let me uh, take a whack at the problem. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. He goes into a full-on seizure. Um, you know, a, a spirit of sickness or a demon certainly doesn't like to be around Jesus. So, you know, uh, the spirit is panicking. The boy manifest terrible sickness. And Jesus, rather than doing it right then and there, he asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? So even Jesus is like, wow, that's serious. If a spirit is involved here, that spirit, that spirit has a big grip on this poor kid. How long has this been going on? How powerful is this problem? How long standing is this problem? 
uh, Jesus works his way through it. Those of you who are going to go to the, the Dunamon uh, after service on healing ministry, we'll, we'll talk about this story and how Jesus diagnoses the problem and how much power he's going to need to pull off the miracle. It's all very interesting. But the boy's father answers, and he says, from childhood, in other words, a long time, and this is a serious problem, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. So Jesus goes back to this belief thing. So I think what Jesus is doing here is that he's provoking the kid's father. It's like, look. You're the one who brought me the kid. And now you're going to say, if you can do anything, I mean, do you think I can do anything? Or do you not think I can do anything? And Jesus kind of feels that tension in this poor father. And I imagine Jesus feels a lot of compassion for the poor father too. Because this has been a long-standing problem. And, and the kid, as well as the father, is probably feeling pretty beat up by it in life. You know what I mean? But Jesus provokes his, his his faith provokes his belief. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed in a moment of truth, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And and that is one of my favorite prayers from all of Scripture because because we live there, don't we? I mean, that's, that's so often where we live. Oh, I believe. Can you help me with my unbelief? No, we have both. We are a mixture. We are not, we're not totally true. There's, you know, there's a, there's a bubble in our steel. There, there's, a, there's a twist in our edge. We're not, we're not quite where we should be on that. And, and to the Father's credit, he, he recognizes it. He said, yes, you know, actually, actually, I'm part of that unbelieving generation, but I, but I kind of believe in uh, help. And that's a good prayer. It is, I would say, a prayer for conviction. It is a prayer to believe what you actually believe. It's a very human prayer. A prayer for conviction, because... Because it's not, it's not the believing that releases the power. It's the believing what you believe that releases the power, you know? It's the conviction of it. It's the thoroughness of it. Uh, and I, I, I left off the rest of the story. But what do you think happens? You know, Jesus heals the kid. And uh, he takes that moment of faith from, from the, the boy's father. And, and a great miracle happens. It's an unbelieving crowd. They're arguing. They're defensive. And when you're arguing with something, arguing about something, when you're contentious, it's it's just really hard uh, to maintain your conviction. The disciples have just failed, and I I have the feeling that because they failed, they're a little bit rattled. And I imagine the religious experts are saying, well, does your Jesus heal people or not? Is what you're doing... uh, here, is it legitimate or not? Because what I see is failure. Got you. We have convicted you of failure. We have convicted you of not being what you should be. 
And under that sort of, it's not really a conviction, it's an accusation, it's hard for the disciples to respond with words of conviction. No, 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 it's true. Maybe they say, I don't understand the facts of why I have failed in this instance, but I can tell you that this path is true. But that, that's very hard for them to do. And I imagine that somewhere in that tension the disciples are living, when Jesus comes down from the mountain, that's what he encounters, that sort of atmosphere. So he says, oh, you unbelieving people, you've gotten yourself all mixed up with unbelief. You've lost your conviction in the face of accusation. You've lost your conviction in the face of disappointment and failure. And, and, and we all do that sometimes. Uh, because we're human. So Jesus diagnoses that almost immediately because it's such a common problem, I think. You know, and he separates the boy and then he provokes a bit of truth out of the boy's father. Everything is possible for him who believes. What do you say? And the boy's father is like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, just help me get there. Just give me conviction, Jesus, uh, please. Um, where there is belief with conviction, there's always power. Um, belief with conviction releases power. Belief without conviction, oh, that's a tough one. It sucks to be caught in the middle. It sucks to live there in the tension. And Jesus teaches on that a lot. It sucks to have a tower that's half built. It sucks to go to war when you haven't counted the costs and developed enough force to pull off the victory. It sucks to be lukewarm, to use another Jesus teaching. You know, it sucks to be half-assed, to use the blue water word. We want to be full-assed. You know, big booty, is that what you said? I like that application point, thank you. It sucks to be uh, caught in the middle. I love supernatural ministry. I love ministry like healing and prophecy and casting out demons and all that stuff. I love it because it always calls the question, I mean, do you actually believe this or not? Do you actually believe this or is, or is this moment so intimidating that you're going to start to hem and haw? And, and I, I love supernatural ministry for that reason because there's no faking. The person gets better or not, you know, and, and you might fail, but at least fail with conviction you know, that's, that's kind of how I have tried uh, to pattern my life. I love supernatural ministry uh, for that reason. But there are other ministries that we engage in that don't reveal a lack of conviction quite as immediately as that. I think evangelism is, is one such ministry. We can go for, for weeks, months, years at a time without ever actually trying to convert someone with conviction. We can go for weeks, months, years at a time without ever actually giving a testimony in a public place with conviction. And instead, what we do is we hem and haw. Instead of, like, speaking with conviction, we instead just try to be really, really nice, which isn't the same thing. You know, not that there's anything wrong with being nice. I try to be nice once or twice a year. Christmas is coming, and I'm going to do something nice. You know, not, not, not for all of you, uh, but, but, but for some of you. But I try to be a person of conviction all the time. That's where the battle is for me, because, because niceness does not release the power of the kingdom. Conviction does. You know, faith, faith does. Being a person of a conviction of conviction is, is, is an awesome thing. Being a person of mere belief 
not such an awesome thing. That gets you, that gets you ignored, and it makes you feel kind of weak and powerless a, a lot of times. Uh, here's a phrase that I've been thinking about a lot. I think conviction is the key to contagion. Conviction is the key to contagion. You know what that word contagion means? We don't use that word a lot, but we do use the adjective form of that word a lot, contagious. You know, when somebody has a virus, oh, they're still contagious. You know, if you're around a contagious person, you catch what they have. Well, I think in the kingdom of God, conviction is what makes us contagious. And so conviction is the key to contagion. If you are wishy-washy, you're not contagious. If you are, if you are wishy-washy in how you speak, then it just sucks all the power out of you, right? You don't, you don't make a difference. And so the world, the spirit of the world or the enemy or the spirit of chaos, however you want to conceive it, is dead set against you speaking with conviction. Dead set against it. Everything in worldly culture, more than anything else, trust me on that, more than anything else, wants to compromise the way you speak, wants to make sure that you speak with compromise and not conviction. Whatever else, do not speak honestly. We have learned that lesson from the very beginning. All of us have. All of us have. I, I, I guarantee it. And I think, you know, the key to kind of releasing the kingdom is, is, is this conviction, whether you're trying to heal a very sick little kid or you're trying to actually change a life. And uh, in revivals, this is, this is uh, supposedly a, a sermon series on revival, it's our conviction that often gets revived. We don't believe different things. We just believe it differently. We just, we fall under conviction of the truth that we have trusted all along. I think that's what's going on uh, in revivals. And I think when, when churches get revived, when they live again, when they get a blessing from God for more life, I think, uh, you know, God breathes conviction on the church. And sometimes this conviction of misdeeds is like, dude, be pure. Come on. Don't be a twisted edge. You know that this path does not lead to the target that you want to. So there's that kind of conviction. And then there's a conviction that's like, come on. Trust what you trust. Believe what you believe. You know, speak, speak, speak with some authority on this. There's that kind of conviction as well. And when we start moving in conviction, we just become contagious all around. Repentance becomes contagious. It becomes the thing to do. Lifestyles of repentance pop up, but so do lifestyles of power, lifestyles of sharing, lifestyles... Uh, lifestyles of, of testimony, and when you read revival history, that's what you see. It happens again and again and again and again uh, over, over the last 2,000 years. It's the power of not mere belief, but, but conviction, conviction uh, uh, through and to, through. Uh, and, and I think that's what, that's what people in the world are hungry for. They're not hungry for the facts of your truth. They're hungry for faith itself. You know, it's not what you say that counts. It's the spirit in which you say it that really releases the kingdom in people's lives. Because the whole world is afraid. And we, uniquely among humans on the earth, should be unafraid, uncompromised. And that's uh, what makes the difference uh, for people. 
being a person of conviction is an awesome thing. I, uh, I've been asking myself lately, do I, do I actually trust the power of the gospel? Do I actually trust it? Or, you know, am I, am I over it? Uh, am I too, too worn out? I've had, I had loads of disappointment in, in, in my life. I'm, I'm 50 years old. I've been walking with Jesus a long time. I've been ministering with Jesus a long time. I have failed more often than probably any of you at uh, ministry things, at trying to pull off miracles, at trying to witness to people. Am I worn out by that? You know, am I like the disciples who failed to heal the little kid and kind of lose the power of their conviction and need Jesus to come and rescue them? Yes, I am like that, frankly, and I do need Jesus to come and rescue me, and I'm trying really hard to get with it. I believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. That's kind of where I live, and I'm trying to get that breakthrough in my own life. Do you trust the power of the gospel? I mean, really, are you under conviction of it? Or are you too cowed or too beaten down? And if you haven't really decided uh, to make Jesus Lord yet, if you haven't decided to jump into the gospel life, you know, why? Have you rejected it? No, you're here. You haven't rejected it. Are you then a non-decider? Being a non-decider is really, really popular in, in our culture. We're open to everything, so we haven't decided on anything. Just, I'm just a non-decider, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a perpetual seeker. Uh, and I love, I love seeking. I love open-minded investigation. I love the pursuit of experiences uh, for the sake of, of growth. But I just despise this tendency in our culture not to decide, to just kind of live right on the edge of the firelight. I hate that. I think it, it kills people. And I'll tell you what, it not, what it's not. It's not conviction. It's not conviction. So if you live there on the edge, you will have no power. And if you have no power over time, you'll just start to feel pointless. And rather than internalizing the pointless and saying, I screwed up, you will instead judge the gospel and say, yeah, you know, it didn't really work for me. Well, you never actually gave it a chance, did you? You never really lived a life of conviction. And, you know, it's a lack of conviction that corrupts faith in us. It's usually not outright rejection. It's just a lack of conviction. Um, and, you know, and that comes from desire for acceptance. It comes from cowardice. It's hard to be convicted and to live a life that way. I, I do think that being a coward is the worst thing to be in life. Above all else, don't be a coward. Um, but anyway, don't be a non-decider. Uh, I, I, trust, I trust the gospel. I trust the power of the gospel. And, and I love it more and more as the years go by for me. You know, here, here's what I think. I think that life came from somewhere. And I think that, that there is a creator God. I think, that, I think that he made all of this. And I think the fact that he created this means that there is a purpose for it. Because nobody creates something for nothing. And I think that the story is true. You know, the story of God and humanity that has been handed down to us 
I know the core of it is in the scriptures, what we call the Bible, but you also find stories, echo stories in a lot of different cultures, but the story is true. It's passed down to us across millennia, across many different cultures, and across many different locations. That sort of thing cannot be faked. No one owns the story of God and humanity, but it is the story of humanity itself, and humanity has worked very hard to remember it. The stories in the book of Genesis are perhaps tens of thousands of years old, we've been trying so hard to remember the truth, the path that gets us where we want to go, because across the millennia, human beings have repeatedly discovered that if we stray from the path, disaster happens. Our culture has, has forgotten it again. Our culture in this country is just passionately trying to destroy all of the spiritual, all of the metaphysical underpinnings of our culture because we think that that is freedom. There are only two ways to respond to suffering in the world. You respond with faith in God or you respond with nihilism and faith in nothing. Buddhism, all must end. Nihilism, Christianity, no, faith, more to come. There are only two ways and we see that pattern in, in all of, of culture. God birthed us into beauty, and God birthed us into challenge. And I think the challenge is for us to think for ourselves and, and to trust in truth, to trust in a, in a path that empowers belief and sacrificial love. God, God trusted us. God trusted us with the power of, of choice. And then Jesus came, and he modeled not just that power that God has, but he modeled sacrificial love in a way that's just beautiful, unique, and challenging. God exists, I think, and, and, and he loves you more than you think. That's the good news part of the message, and, he's, and he's, calling, he's calling you into a bigger eternal life, but you have to, you have to grasp on like a like an independent, mature person. You have to grasp on, um, and, and, and you must live with, with conviction, or you'll just leak the power of what you grasp on to. You need to make Jesus Lord. You need to make Jesus Lord because... You know, he's not someone that, that you ought to believe in vaguely. But, but to be Lord means that Jesus is someone that you actually follow. He's the path. He's the straight arc. And trust, if trusting God is the point of life, and I think that it is, then there has to be a point of decision about that. And Jesus is that point of decision. He's the point of decision that God inserted into the world. Jesus is the point of, of decision. And accepting Jesus as Lord, you're not accepting a tradition. You're accepting the tradition. You're accepting the story that has been passed down to us across millennia. Jesus is just the decision point of that story, yes or no. Is this the path, or are you going to hem and haw? Don't be a non-decider believe in the truth of it, or there will be no power in it for you. I, I trust that gospel. That's the gospel that I see make a difference in people's lives. So here, application points for the sermon. Application point number one. I think, 
I think that we ought to be like the boy's father. I think that we ought to, we ought to pray that prayer of, of conviction. I believe! Now, would you would help me with that unbelief that just keeps dogging me? You know, because a life of conviction, well, that has to be developed, you know. That has to be developed. You know why new believers get baptized? You know why we have that ritual? Why Peter says, oh, repent, fall under conviction, repent and believe, and be baptized, every one of you. There's, there's nothing about being dunked in water that is magical, but what is that? That's sort of a declaration in front of everyone. I am convicted. You know, I'm not just going to believe this thing. I'm going to manifest my belief in this thing, you know? There's an appeal for baptism. If you haven't got around to doing that, uh, baptism services are awesome because they are an exercise in conviction. They are a prayer for conviction. It's like, make this real for me. Make it as real as sort of death to life. You know, make it, make it black and white. A prayer for conviction. I believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. I, I think... For me, and this is also uh, almost a daily ritual with me, uh, I need to repent of unbelief because it, it sort of, it adheres to me like dust adheres to me when I go jogging on the trails. You know, the, the world is just full of it. Every day I repent of it. It's like, ah, I, 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 I think I'm a man of unbelief. You know, how, about, how about conviction? Because I've experienced those moments of clarity. And I love them and, and, and I pray for them. You know, every time I get the wind knocked out of me with a disappointment, every time I try and fail, it's like, life is hard. Convict me of this path. Um, because I also know that beautiful things happen along the path. I know that miracles happen. I know that lives get changed. I know that my life gets changed. I know that my life gets saved, both eternally and practically, because I have, I have stood on the abyss and I've thought about death. You know, I'm a person who, who thought very seriously about suicide. I, I, know, I know where an untrue path leads. Pray for conviction. Application point number two, I think, speak with conviction. One of the first things Jesus preached to the crowds was, let your light shine before other people. Let your light shine. Otherwise, it's worthless. Be salty. Be a person of conviction. You've got to get it out. You've got to speak it into the world. Because if you don't, you're like salt that has lost its saltiness, which is worth nothing except to be thrown out. That's Jesus' saying. That's his words. Like if, if you don't speak with conviction to the people around you, if you're not trying to spread it, you are in a very, very dangerous place. And over time, what will happen is that you will stop trusting the gospel. You'll, you'll stop trusting the kingdom. You will. Right? Because you have made it powerless uh, with your choices. If you speak with conviction, it's just very, very hard in our world because the speech is just being attacked left and right. You know, there is such a such an atmosphere of, of judgment out there. It's very, very hard. So, so pray for conviction to let your light shine before people. You know, don't, don't just share Christian's perspective on politics or morality or something. No, no, share the gospel. No, I, I, I believe this. 
I, I trust this. I have experienced this. When I say speak with conviction, I don't mean speak with arrogance because I think arrogance is, is what people choose when they're afraid. But humility comes out of a place of, of courage. Like, yeah, actually, I don't know all of the facts, but I know the path. I know what truth is. Here it is. And you speak with conviction because it's not, it's not even so much the content of what you say. It's not the words that you say. It's the spirit in which you say them. And the world is hungry for faith. It's faith that is contagious, not information. It's conviction, uh, not, not, not facts. Uh, the f- facts of the gospel story are not in and of themselves powerful and contagious. Everybody knows the story uh, around us. Most people already know the story, but they have found no power in it, probably because it's never been shared with great, great conviction and, and humility. Faith itself is the powerful and contagious thing, and conviction is the medium to transfer faith. That's what does it. Not niceness. Nice never won any souls. Nice is great, but conviction is what releases the power of the kingdom uh, into people. When I, uh, when I ask those warm-up questions, hey, who thinks this? Who thinks that? Um, there's always a majority of people who just don't raise their hands. You know, uh, because you've learned that I'm a, I'm a tricky son of a gun, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try really hard to embarrass you because teasing is my love language, <laughs> right? Um, but but in, in a larger perspective, um, I, I, hope it's, I hope it's fun to raise your hand sometime, just kind of participate in that exercise. Because if you raise your hand and are wrong, if you raise your hand and look foolish, you've raised your hand for something, which is far, far better than sitting with your hands folded in your lap. And, and there's, there's a life lesson there, right? We want to be people who raise our hands. We want to be people who, who, who stand for something. You know, if you don't decide, if you're a non-decider habitually, if you're a, eh, whatever, or eh, I don't think so, or eh, I'm not sure, you won't, you won't grow. You'll never test yourself, right? <clears throat> so, Holy Spirit, I pray uh, that in this house today, uh, you would come with a spirit of conviction. Uh, the prayer of my heart, Lord, is, is I believe. Help me to co- overcome my unbelief. Help me to co- overcome my unbelief and all of the traumas, all of the wounds, all of the confusions that have contributed to it. Look, I, I might not have all of the information. I might not be able to explain everything, but I know the path. I know the path. And it's powerful, and I will continue to invite people to join me on it. I repent of unbelief, Lord. Help me to overcome. 